I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The book of Hebrews was written to some Jewish Christians who had gotten disappointed with their faith. And they were so disappointed that they were seriously considering abandoning their faith and going back to whatever faith they had before they embraced Christ. For most of, the, most of these people, that's going to be uh, Jewish faith, Judaism, based only on the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews, and we have no idea who he is, was writing to them saying, look, uh, anything that you would give up Christ to go back to, Jesus is better than any of that. He's better than the temple sacrifices. He's better than, than uh, worshiping angels. Evidently, some of them worship angels as intermediaries. And he said, there's nothing that you can go back to that would be as good as what you have in Jesus. And perhaps that, uh, perhaps one of the reasons that Hebrews is such a, a relevant book for our world today is we have a lot of folks who are thinking about abandoning their faith. And on the other hand, we have a lot of Christians in churches and preachers who are preaching a type of Christianity that's so sugar-footed that it's not real. And I'll tell you, when you examine sugar-foot, I, I think I just invented that word, but you know what it means already. Um, when you examine sugar-footed doctrine. It doesn't take long to disassemble it. It's not real. The writer of Hebrews is, is promoting an embrace of Jesus that is, that is real, that has some calories to it. And the reason I'm uh, reading from Hebrews chapter 1, this is a Christmas passage, believe it or not. It's not about the birth narrative, but it is about the advent, the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, that is voiced in a way in Hebrews chapter 1 that we don't see it anywhere else. I've entitled this message, and it's going to be a little bit different uh, from what I normally do, um, but I've entitled it, The Best Statement God Ever Made. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior, there it is, to the angels, as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, or he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. 
He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, how powerful is just the simple reading of your word. Lord, nothing that I'm about to say will be as powerful or as great as the words that I just read, because the words that I read are yours. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us, though, tonight and show us the best statement you ever made, the best statement you ever made. I pray that in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Amen. I've always been interested in famous quotes. Uh, people who, who have knowledge and wisdom and they share that wisdom with us. And of course, uh, I'm sure that uh, you would agree with me that, that any true wisdom and knowledge that anyone can impart is first given to them by some sort of inspiration by the Lord Himself. I'm not saying that that inspiration is on par with Scripture, but still anything that's of wisdom at all comes from God because all truth comes ultimately from God. There is no truth that doesn't come from the Lord. But I enjoy reading different quotes, famous quotes from people. Probably one of the most quoted people in America is uh, our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln made these quotes. He says, a friend is one who has the same enemies as you have. Abraham Lincoln said this, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. Abraham Lincoln said this, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. And then in a letter to the mother of a fallen Union soldier, Abraham Lincoln said, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln. Albert Einstein, one of the smartest people the world has ever known, said this. He says, two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity, and I'm not so sure about the universe. Ralph Waldo Emerson, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. I like that. Benjamin Franklin, laziness travels so slowly that poverty soon overtakes him. Benjamin Franklin also said this, guests, this is a good time to give this quote, guests, like fish, begin to smell after three days. That's not all they do. One of my favorite people to quote is Will Rogers. Will Rogers said, don't squat with your spurs on. 
Will Rogers said, good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of that comes from bad judgment. Will Rogers says, letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. Will Rogers said, if you're riding ahead of the herd, take a look back every now and then to make sure the herd is still there. Will Rogers told this story. He says, after eating an entire bull, a mountain lion felt so good he started roaring. He kept it up until a hunter came along and shot him. The moral of the story, when you're full of bull, keep your mouth shut. Will Rogers, there are two theories to arguing with a woman, and neither one of them works. Will Rogers, when you give a lesson in meanness to a critter or a person, don't be surprised if they learn the lesson. Will Rogers, Never miss a good chance to shut up. Not many preachers follow Will Rogers on that one. Have you noticed? Will Rogers, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. It was a British novelist, Edward Bulwer-Lytton, who said this. You've heard it before. The pen is mightier than the sword. It was Thomas Edison who, after trying to invent a particular device and having failed literally thousands of times and somebody said you are a failure, he said this, quote, I haven't failed, I've just found 10,000 ways that it won't work. Albert Schweitzer, the great theologian, philosopher, example is not the main thing in influencing others, it is the only thing. John F. Kennedy, the time to repair a roof is when the sun is shining. Also, John F. Kennedy, forgive your enemies, but never forget their names. Charles de Gaulle, the French leader, the graveyards are full of indispensable men. Booker T. Washington. can't hold a man down without staying down with him. Dwight David Eisenhower. Farming looks mighty easy when your plow is a pencil and you're a thousand miles away from a cornfield. You heard of Wayne Gretzky, the great uh, hockey, great Hall of Fame hockey player? Wayne Gretzky said this, he says, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. That's a great quote. Andre Gide, this is one of my favorite quotes too right here. Believe those who are seeking the truth. Doubt those who find it. There's a lot of people who think they found it. Christopher Morley. Life is a foreign language, and every man mispronounces it. Charles Schultz, remember him? Great scientist, theologian. Life is like a 10-speed bicycle. Most of us have gears we never use. 
One of my favorite poets is Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou said this, There's nothing so pitiful as a young cynic because he has gone from knowing nothing to believing nothing. Maya Angelou again, Alone, all alone, nobody, but nobody can make it out here alone. Lady Nancy Astor, I married beneath me, all women do. I don't know why I put that one in there. But the best quotes of all are God's quotes. Things that God has said. And, uh, you know, you can make an argument, and it's a legitimate argument, that all of the Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation uh, 22, is all God's words. God's word. And, and I believe that. Uh, but in particular... I'm thinking of those places where, where in God's Word, in the Bible, God is actually quoted as saying something. Quotes from God. What has God said? I mean to the point of being quoted that He said these things. The first recorded quote of God in the Bible. Let there be light. And there was light. The eighth recorded quote of God in the Bible. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Here is a tragic quote from God. He said it to a woman. It's in Genesis 3, quote, what is this that you have done? I like, though, the quote of God to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, quote, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. I think I'm going to say that to our church. We've stayed long enough at this mountain. One of the most popular quotes from God is found in 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. It's when Solomon has just taken over the kingship from his father David, and God has told him, he said, look, ask whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you. And You remember that? You remember that episode? And Solomon comes up, and instead of praying for wealth and riches and and uh, big buildings and all that kind of thing, popularity. He asked him for one very simple and yet profound thing. You remember that? What was it? Wisdom. God, I'm just a child. I can't, I can't rule over these people. I need wisdom. Give me wisdom. And God is quoted saying this. Since you have asked for this, and not long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but instead for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anybody like you, nor will there ever be. How would you like for God to say that to you? That raised the hair on your head. 
quote from Isaiah is a very powerful quote. Chapter 1, verse 18, to Isaiah, God said, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Or what about the quote of God in uh, in Jonah, chapter 4, verse 9? You ever heard this quote before? Jonah, do you have a right? Really have a right to be angry about the vine? I love that quote. I like the quote of God when uh, Abraham in Genesis took Isaac. God says, take Isaac, your only son Isaac. Take him up on, on the mountain of the Lord and sacrifice him there. Which was really odd because God had promised uh, descendants as numerous as the sands on the sea and the stars in the sky for Abraham with regard to Isaac. And here he is, take Isaac, go up to the mountain and sacrifice him. You remember that? And he gets Isaac and he gets the wood for the burnt offering and he gets the servants and they head, make the trek, a long trek, several hundred miles over to, um, over to Mount, uh, Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah where Bethlehem, I mean Jerusalem is actually situated now. It's also called Mount Zion. About halfway there, Abraham turns to his servants. He says, you stay here and we'll go the rest of the way and we'll come back. He and Isaac go up. They get up to the top of the mountain and he ties Isaac up. And he takes his knife and he winds his arm back up and starts to come down. And about halfway down, God interrupts him and he says, stop. Quote, don't lay a hand on the boy for now. I know that you trust me. Now, buddy, you can camp out on that statement. Stop. Don't touch the boy. For now, I know that you trust me. But I suppose my favorite quote from the Old Testament, and all these are Old Testament quotes, you know. I'm sure you've noticed that. My favorite quote from the Old Testament is what he said to to Jeremiah. And actually, he was, Jeremiah was God's uh, scribe. God was giving Jeremiah words, and he'd write them down and send them to the people in captivity. They had just been carried there. They, they didn't even unpack their bags. I've told you that before. You know that. They didn't think they'd be there very long. They ended up being there 70 years. And God sends them a letter in Jeremiah chapter 29. Basically, the letter says, you need to unpack your bags and stay because you're going to be there for a while. But I don't want you to lose hope. And then he says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, this is a quote. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. And you will call on me, and you will seek me, and you will find me. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart, unquote. I have a plan for you. Great quotes, great quotes from great people, but greater quotes from our great God in the Old Testament. But you know what? Even Jeremiah 29, 11 is not the greatest statement God has ever made. The writer of Hebrews told us, he says that the greatest statement God ever made was more than a statement. It was literally a person. 
Read verse 1 again. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, there's a, there's a hint of finality there. Do you hear it? Do you feel it? I mean, all that right there was good, he says. But now, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. This, God says, is his final statement. And God has saved the best for last. You say, well, wait a minute. A person is not a statement. Well, John said it is. You remember how John introduced Jesus? You remember it in the gospel? In the beginning was the, say it, word. Statements are made up of words. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten son of the father. Full of grace and truth. God has said so much in our world. He said so many, he has said so many great things, made so many great statements. But ladies and gentlemen, this you already know, the greatest statement God has ever made and will ever make is Jesus. There will never be a greater statement than him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are here tonight on this final Sunday night of 2009 to thank you for the greatest statement you ever made. The statement of Jesus, the statement of a person. You spoke the word, and the word, which was you, which is God and was God and will always be God, became flesh, full of glory, full of grace, full of love, full of mercy, full of the will of God Lord, you have spoken finally, fully, completely, and powerfully. And Lord, it is our role to respond to the statement, the final statement you have made in Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we finish up this year and look to a new year, may our response to your final statement be one of acceptance, be one of commitment, be one of stepping up to the plate and following what you desire of us in a new year. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.